this morning we're going to be talking about money. Um, the Bible, the Bible comes out of real life context, um, and because of that, the Bible has a lot to say about money because money has been important to people for ever. Whatever the measurement of wealth was, whether it was physical currency or livestock, the Bible's aware that that wealth, that money, that security are important to people. So the Bible actually says a lot about money, and we're not covering everything. Uh, and I know, too, that there is, a, there is a pretty nasty history of the church talking about, hopefully not this church, but Big C, the global church, talking about money generally. We have a poor record on this uh, in a lot of ways, a very publicly poor record uh, where the church is manipulated and oppressed the poor, uh, has, you see people build giant mansions on the back of the poor. Um, St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome was this enormous, beautiful building that it's fun to walk through and look at priceless pieces of art, but also uh, the money for that came from people who were basically spiritually manipulated into giving more than they had so the thing could be built. So our record uh, talking about this issue can be a bit uh, fraught, and I know that, uh, but I want you to, to trust with me that people may be messed up, but God is not. And if he has wisdom to communicate about this very important issue in our lives, we would be wise to listen and to not let the failures of our past cause us to steer away from what God might say to us about, about money. So I've pulled some passages from Proverbs, and rather than slowing us down and me flipping back and forth throughout the book, I'm just going to read them off the screen with us. These are from Proverbs uh, 30, chapter 30, chapter 14, chapter 23, and chapter 11. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us in the most serious, consequential issues of life. 
And God, we thank you that even the practicalities of our financial life are spaces where we can receive wisdom from you. God, we pray that you would make us wise this morning, that our hearts would be soft, that our ears would be open and inclined to your voice, to your will, to your law, that we, God, might be a people who reflect your character into the world and who trust you to care for us, whatever our station in life. We need your help, Lord Jesus, this morning and every day of our lives. We know that you are strong to the task. Amen. Um, I, I'm, I am a, a preacher. Uh, I'm a pastor. That's my trade. Um, I am not a financial advisor. I'm legally obligated to disclose that at the beginning of this pitch. Not really. That's a joke. You're allowed to laugh there. Um, I'm not, I'm not here to give you financial advice, as it were. I'm not here to tell you how to get rich. Um, and if you look at my finances and the way that we spend money, save money, you may look at me and say, you should maybe talk to a financial advisor. Okay, I, I, I acknowledge that. I am not the be-all, end-all of financial advice. There are wonderful people in this town who you should go talk to for that. What I'm here to do this morning is hopefully to, to open for us what Scripture is talking about, about the nature of wealth, about the nature of money, and in relation, the nature of God and what our response to, should be uh, to the former in light of the latter. Does that make sense? So I'm not here to tell you at all how to get rich. And I would tell you as well, the book of Proverbs is not there to tell you how to get rich. Now, the book of Proverbs has more, a lot more to say about wealth, and it has a lot of practical advice that is good advice. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, basic, simple wisdom, like you should work hard and save money. I mean, that's pretty general advice. I think that still applies today. You can find lots of that in the book of Proverbs. These specific passages that we're talking about are about the nature of wealth in the world, how we are meant to use it, and what that says about God. And I myself have a, a complicated relationship with, wisdom, uh, with, with money in, in ways. I, I've, I've gone through seasons of, of plenty and seasons of want. I've seen God show up and, and provide for my family in miraculous ways. It's the only way that I can describe it. And I've seen us just sort of slowly dig ourselves out uh, during harder times. Uh, my wife and I got married when we were 21. I had just graduated from Montreat. Uh, she had another year left. My first job was at the Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club in Asheville. And um, 11 months after we were married, we found out that we were pregnant, which was not the plan. And we, I, was terrified because, I don't know if you know this, but babies are expensive. I don't know if anybody's ever told you. Babies are expensive. And I did not make that much money, and my wife did not make money, period, at that point. Well, she's just started a job at a camp, also not a big money maker. And at that point, health insurance worked different. There was no staying on your parents' health insurance. She graduated from college, health insurance over. 
So baby coming, minimal income. I was 22. I was terrified. And I, I came to, we were a part of, of this church. Um, I was not the pastor. But it was called Eyesight at that point. We, we were not meeting the bar. We were meeting the Black Mountain campus. And I stood up in front of the, the church. There was less people in the room at that point and said, we need help. <laughs> like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I experienced this, this combination of things. I had a friend step up months later and just give me a wad of cash and say, this is to help pay for your, your hospital. And we had the, the insurance agency decide that they would cover my, my wife's side of the bill because she was, she'd gotten pregnant while she was still under, under coverage. But then, you know, the baby is part of the bill as well. And nobody, nobody stepped up and said, hey, let me take care of that for you. Um, which I kind of hoped that somehow would happen somewhere in the world. So I was left paying off my daughter for years. I was making payments on her. I guess if you run out of money, you have to give her back. But they let you sort of pay in installments. And I remember years later, I, I think about five or six years later, when I sent in the last check to pay her off and fully own her as, as mine outright. Um, that, was a, that was a trying experience. For, for me. Um, on the other hand, we, my family spent a year in South Africa, which just getting there was a miracle. Uh, and we came home, I really felt like I needed to start seminary full time. And I didn't know how that was going to work out because now my daughter is, is a year and a half old. Uh, we were coming back here to be back a part of this church. I don't know how this was going to work out. We went to see family in Michigan to catch up with everybody before we came back here. And the night before I left, uh, one of Aaron's family members, a grandparent, came to us and said, we want to support you like you're still missionaries. And we want to pay for, for seminary, any cost that you can't cover, to live or to go to school. Now, that was miraculous. I did not see that coming. And... I felt nauseous with anxiety up until that point because I had no idea. We were, we were getting in the car the next morning and I had nowhere to drive the car to. I, I, I was driving to a friend's house that we could stay in their basement for a week or two. And then the backup plan was the car. I don't know. I don't know what we were going to do. And that wasn't even the last miracle in that whole extravaganza. What I'm saying is, I myself have experienced um, the, the strain and the difficulty, the worry that goes with money. And I have also seen money come from nowhere in ways that I could not predict. And what I can't open up for you is why that happens. So before we even talk about these passages, what you and I need to understand is Proverbs is going to tell us if the world goes as it should and if you work hard and if you save money, generally that's a good plan and things will go right for you. 
But sometimes the world does not work as it should. Often the world does not work as it should. And if you are here this morning and you are looking at your bank account and it is a very small number and it is much smaller than the bills that you have, what you're not going to hear from me, what you're not going to hear from Scripture is it must be because you are a wicked sinner who does not trust enough. That's simply not what the book of Proverbs says. It's not what Scripture says and it's not what I'm going to tell you this morning. Similarly, if you are sitting comfortably and you are looking at your bank account and the numbers are large and your bills are small, what the Scripture is not going to tell you is you must be especially faithful. You must be an especially good person and that's why your finances look like this. Not at all. Money for all of us is a reality, but it needs to be put into its proper perspective in terms of God's character and the way that money should work. Can you put up this first slide? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This passage gives us a formula which Jesus will tell us to pray. We are meant to acknowledge the necessities of life, the fact that you need money to make your life go, and what your petition and what my petition should be is in the words of Jesus that we might have our daily bread. Because in this passage, what, what we're being implicitly told is there is danger for you. It's not telling you you can't be rich or you can't be poor, but that there is danger in being wealthy. And there is danger in being poor. So what you should pray for, what you should ask for, what you should hope for is not that you would be either. Now this isn't telling you don't try to be successful at business. This isn't, this isn't telling you anything like that. But what it's cluing us into is that riches can give us problems. And it's easy to believe that riches takes away problems. And it does. It might. It often will. If you don't have the stress of knowing where your next meal is from, if you don't have the stress of knowing how you're going to retire, if you don't have the stress of wondering if your house payment or your rent will be made, those are real good things. But those are not without real dangers and costs. What Scripture will say, what the book of Proverbs will say especially, is you should be wary of acquiring wealth. Because that is, just, that is not necessarily a neutral force in your life. It has a real gravity all of its own. Namely, in, this heart, in the heart of this passage, that you might say, what, have, what need have I of God? That becomes the real and central problem that riches presents. 
Now, it's also not wrong to say, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be poor anymore. That's not wrong. As we saw in that passage, there are real dangers, there are real temptations in the state of poverty. You might be tempted to be bitter against God. You may be tempted to curse the name of God. There is nothing wrong with wanting to pay your bills. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have the stress of that off your shoulders. But what we should hear, and you can go to the the next verses after this, what we should hear is that if you are poor, you are not forgotten by God. In fact, the poor are especially in the mind of God. And these are just uh, a couple examples. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. And this is a pattern that we see in Scripture again and again throughout the Old Testament, in the books of wisdom, in the minor prophets, the major prophets, and in the life of Jesus most clearly and especially, God cares very, very much for the poor and identifies His cause with the cause of the poor. And so here in that we should hear a warning That if you are comfortable in the amount of money you have and you forget the poor, you should be afraid. Because the poor are people that God especially cares for. The people in this world who are disempowered have no protection against the structures of this world who have been steeped in poverty oftentimes against their own choice, born into poverty, not seeing the ladder out of poverty. If you and I are not compassionate and actively generous towards the poor, we are misunderstanding the nature of God in the world. And if you are here and you find yourself loaded down with the weight and the worry of poverty... It is tempting to believe God must have forgotten me. God must have forgotten me as the rest of the world has forgotten me. And what the Scriptures should remind you is you are not forgotten. You are cared for and loved. And I don't know necessarily why things are the way they are. I don't know why the market turned that way. I don't know why your industry contracted that way. I don't know why the economy is necessarily working against you in this way. I don't know. I can't answer that for you. If I could figure it out, and if I do figure it out, I will tell you, I will do my best. And we should, as Christians, cheer on and support the work of people who are trying to address that need. But I ultimately want you to know, first and foremost, that God loves you and cares for you, that He has not forgotten you, that you are not unseen. And what I hope that you know in this church, in this specific church, That if you are in the position where you feel forgotten by society, if you are forgotten and poor, if you do not know how you will pay your bills this month, we don't want to just tell you that. We don't want to just say to you, hey, we love you. 
I hope this works out sometime. We want to care for you because you are our brother or our sister. You are in our family. And we may not be able to fix everything, but we can bear one another up. We want to tangibly demonstrate to one another first and to everyone else we can after that God sees and remembers and cares for the poor. If you are here and you, would, you read these passages about the poor and you say, that is me, we want to be with you really and tangibly. And the, and the church at large, especially in the church of America, has to think about how it, it cares for, how it loves and provides for the poor, which, by the way, it does better than pretty much any organization out there and always has for our history. But we ourselves have to think about in big structural ways and small specific ways how we will continue to do what this proverb says and honor our maker by caring for the poor. But there is, there is a reality to the nature of money that these passages will get at, that we need to be reminded by. And that, that, and that is that money is fleeting. Money is temporary. And pursuing it, going all out to get it, is a quest with no end. You are swimming to the bottom of a well where there is no bottom. And you will ultimately lose air and drown in your quest for wealth. And we go to these next slides. There we go. They're not, do, not be to, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. This poetic imagery is telling you, it's like chasing shadows. How much more money do you need? If, you, if your answer is just more, then you are never, ever satisfied. There's plenty of stories with, with quotes from very wealthy people who have more money than they will ever be able to spend. And in them is this unquenchable appetite for more. And it is tempting for you and I to believe that if we just, look, if we could just pay our bills, if we just had like 20, 15, 10% more, then all this stress would be gone and we would be fine. And really and truly, that may be true. Like that may be true to some degree. You will feel immediate stress relief and you're like, this is fine. But it doesn't take long for that ball to roll down the hill. You get there and you say, maybe 5% more now after the 10%? Maybe then, then we'll be good. There is an inertia to craving wealth. 
And what, what Scripture is going to, to put its hands up and flag you about is, don't be so naive as to think that you are immune to it. You are not immune to the inertia of wealth. You are in real danger. And if you do not pay attention, it can really and truly wound your soul as you pursue what you cannot grasp. Money is temporary. Wealth is temporary. I, I mentioned that my first job was at the Salvation Army Boys and Girls Club, which basically means it's just a Boys and Girls Club, but it's under the organizational tree of the Salvation Army. So most of the time, my job was just like working at any other Boys and Girls Club of America. But I technically worked for the Salvation Army. So guess what I did every Christmas time? Rang those bells. We were required to take a number of shifts to stand outside in the cold and ring those bells. And let me tell you, it takes about 90 seconds to be so bored. It's so boring. Hours and hours of ringing this stupid little bell. And most of the people are ignoring you. I was outside Sam's Club, and I'm watching people roll out with like stacks of flat screen TVs, and they can't throw 50 cents in the bucket. And I'm just ringing a little bit harder as they're walking out. It is boring. One of the, I remember very vividly one way that I found to kill time uh, mentally was during one of those weeks, the, uh, the lottery was huge. And I just started to think, what if I won that money? I didn't, I didn't play to win it, but I'm just like, what if I did? And what if I bought a ticket and I won? And what if I won whatever, the $200 million lottery? And I'm, I'm pretty practical, so I'm like breaking it down. Well, I would take the lump sum, so that's half of that, and then you got to pay taxes, so that's half again. So I'm really lumped out with this much money. And then I started to, in my head, spend the money. All the time, I'm standing, you know, facing the world, trying to look moderately friendly, ringing the bell. But I'm trying to be somewhere else in my mind. And I'm thinking of, you know, I'd probably buy a house and maybe, maybe some land to go with the house and replace our cars because they're garbage and... Um, pay for my, for my daughter, I want to buy her all the way, and, um, and I probably should probably save this much money and this much money, and man, I only have you know, this many millions left. And I would spend my way through millions of dollars before I would realize, I wonder if I should give some away as well. Yes, I will be a generous person in this imaginary scenario. I will give, but it took me, I don't know, an hour or two of very serious meditation on what I would do with this much money before I got to how I would give any money away. Now, if I actually had that money in my bank account, how long do you think it would really take for me to think I should give some of that money away? All that buying and spending takes a long time. It takes a long time to buy a house. And if my mind and my heart is fixated even in a hypothetical situation so much on buying and spending for myself, 
if it happened to me in real life, I bet it wouldn't be too surprising to come to the end of that money and find that it had indeed flown away like a bird. Because that's the inertia of wealth. The inertia of wealth, if it is unguided and unchecked, will take you away into places where more and more it's all about you. Now, we as a people, as a collective people, we have, we have, we acknowledge the wisdom of this and we have corporate practices to stand guard against this habit. And this here is, I'm going to talk about giving to church, okay? You can give to our church if you come here. If you don't go here, don't give to us. You don't know us. I mean, you can, sorry. Yes, you can if you want. People who count the money are mad at me when I say things like that. You can give money here if you want. Um, I'm not looking for a raise. I don't even know where we are in our budget. Maybe I should. Um, this is my pitch to you as individuals. The church has always believed that you should habitually give money to the church. Yes, we have to pay for things that you want to use. Yes. But more importantly, the church is saying you need to habitually give money away to stop the inertia of wealth. Because money has such a grasp on you and on me, and it happens by nature and by habit all the time, you need to forcefully and regularly break the power that money can have on you by giving it away and saying, I won't even use all that I've been given. That is a formative practice. We give because it frees us. When you give yourself over to the habits and practices of generosity, you forcefully and regularly confront the power of wealth in the world. And the power is there whether you have a lot of it or a little of it. And you break its back. If you are wealthy... You need to give away your money so that your money does not own you and trick you into thinking that what you need is more money. And if you are poor and you have very little money, you need to give money away so that you break the power of wealth in your life and it doesn't trick you into thinking that all you need is more money. It's a fundamental problem that spans the economic horizons. And when you actively give in generosity out of principle and out of habit, you regularly crucify the flesh. You mortify and torture that beast inside of you until it begins to loosen its grip on you. In the church, we've always used, and I say this as we, in terms of church history, We've always used the principle of a tithe of a 10, 10%. That goes all the way back to, to the days of Solomon and before. 
And no, we do, we're not building a temple in Jerusalem. We don't have a Levitical priesthood. And we're not talking about it in the same way as the law does. What we're telling you is it's a helpful thing. A, a easily memorable, memorable number to remember. If I, take, if I divide everything I have in tens and I take one of those tens away and I give it to the church, I'm breaking the power of money over me. But honestly, the early church's standard would say 10% is the floor. Some of them gave everything. But the heart is there whether you give 10%, whether you give 100%, whether you give nothing ever, but suddenly today, next week, in a month, start to give $5 instead of $0. Aggressively break the power of wealth in your life. And here's my promise to you. I have no idea what's going to happen. I do not promise to you, you will be wealthier. I don't. Now these, these passages say that the economics of the kingdom work differently. It's surprising how people who give away are given to. But that is not a promise that you will be wealthy. I am not asking you to give your seed to the Lord and it will be deposited and you'll be given tenfold in response. Not happening. I'm not asking you to, to buy a special blessed cloth as a faith gift and God will respond a, a thousand percent to what you've given. I don't know. A lot of people in the church died poor. Jesus was homeless. He had no real estate, no retirement plan. I don't know what's going to happen to you. That is not the riches that I can promise you. But what I can promise you is that if you give away, if you are generous then you have a better and better chance of getting out of the way of the boulder of wealth rolling over you and crushing you under its appetites. You may not be richer. You may not. But your soul may be healthier. And you can be freer from the weight, the anchor, the burden the oppressive need for more. This is the heart of that. If you go to that last Proverbs passage from chapter 11. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. This right here, this last sentence, is at the heart of what the Bible will tell you about money. You can trust in your riches whether you are rich or poor. This is the sneaky reality of wealth and money. On either side of that spectrum, you can trust in riches. If I just had more, I would be okay. Or because I have more, I am okay. And what Scripture will consistently try to do is undermine you in that trust and tell you the reality that your riches will fail you. Jesus is the great master of wisdom teaching. This is from Matthew 6, and it will be on the screen behind me. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can cut a single hour to his, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus paints a clear picture of the good life, and it is rooted in trust. What you must ultimately come to do is not trust in your ability to pay bills, but your ability to rest in the Father's hands. The Father's abilities, the Father's character is more trustworthy than all the wealth you can ever acquire. Jesus invites you into a life where you seek things that last forever. He invites you to seek life in his kingdom where he, the good king, gathers all of his children and cares for them. And that becomes a deeply difficult thing when the worries, the cares of this world, how will I feed and how will I clothe, come crashing in on you day after day after day after day. And it's why Jesus tells you to pray all the time that your daily bread will be provided for so that you don't ever forget that your Father knows that you need provision and that He wants you to tell Him. Your life in pursuit of money, in, in pursuit of security and comfort, will fall through your fingers like sand. And you will be consumed with stress and worry and panic for all of your life because you will never be able to hold enough of it in your hands. But the character of God is that He would provide for you a wealth that cannot be taken away. Because He has displayed for you fundamentally His supreme generosity. When His Son comes to you and lives a life of poverty and knows what it's like to be tempted to be consumed by the need for food and for shelter and security and a retirement plan and all of that, and he can live just like you do. 
And he can allow the cares and the worries and the burdens of this world to crash upon him, to ultimately let it consume him on the cross. God stands in front of you and says, I know you, I love you, I am with you, and I have done everything that is necessary to care for you now and forever. And if you can just trust me, if you can trust me when your bills are big and your bank account is small, if you can just trust me that I am more valuable, I am more worth it, I am more worthy than when your bank account is big and your bills are small, if you can just trust me, you will have a life of a kind and quality that will never degrade. It will never become less valuable, less worth it, less memorable than right now. What Jesus calls that is eternal life. A kind and quality of life that has no boundaries in time, that will not degrade ever. The character of God is eternal and unchanging, and He calls Himself your Father calls himself your father. It doesn't mean the world is easy. It doesn't mean life is always explicable. But it does mean that when the waves crash down upon you, the promise of Jesus is sure. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Sometimes that voice will speak that to you over and over and over again. So quietly, you can barely hear it. And sometimes He will shout it to you so that you can't miss it. Your money does not define you. Your money is not the sum total of who you are or what you do with your occupation, with your life. All the nice things that you want in the world, they will fly away. But Jesus stands in front of you as your internal inheritance that does not ever degrade one iota, one fraction of a percentile. This morning, let me repeat the words of Jesus to you. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom this morning. If you're here and you have been seeking your own kingdom, which it's so easy to do. It is your nature and mine. If you've been consumed and worried that you do not have enough money, that you are not going to make it, you are consumed by the stress of the number of mouths you have to feed, the escalating costs, your flat or declining wages, and you are not sure how this is all going to work out, and you have been eaten up from the inside from worry and fear and near panic every day, seek first the kingdom. Let Jesus deliver you out of that prison. 
You don't need to camp out there any longer. And if you've been living your life never thinking about how comfortable you are, never thinking about how you never have to think about your rent or your grocery bill, and you are happy to whatever, throw some money at some people every once in a while, make sure you're scratching that generous itch, and you have been invested in your own kingdom, and instead of the kingdom of the God who identifies himself with the poor and the needy, seek first the kingdom Not the kingdom of comfort and security, but the kingdom of God. And if you are worried this morning because you have strayed so far to either one of those spectrums, the good news is God's generosity extends to you. You could have been failing Him in this arena for your whole life, and God is still generous to you. If you would run to Him, if you would repent this morning, you would find Him still standing there, happy to call you, call Himself your Father. The promise is still true. He will never leave you or forsake you. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank You that You are worthy, that You are worth it, that you are worth all of our lives, you're worth all of our attention and affections. God, we confess that our, our eyes are often drawn to what is right in front of us, what is immediate to us, what is pressing in on us. We confess to you that we have, we have behaved foolishly with money, we have lived for the moment, we have lived for the comfort of our own making, and we need you, God. We need your eternal worth to define our whole lives. Jesus, I pray that those of us who are here who who wear your name but also wear these burdens of anxiety and shame and fear, God, I pray that you would help us to be delivered more fully into the light burden of being your son or daughter. For all of those who are here, Lord Jesus, who are making their way in the world by themselves, blazing their own path, seeking their own comfort out of either poverty or in their own riches. God, I pray that you'll wake them up and help them to see the reality of their their state. The lives that they live cannot be defined, should not be defined by riches that will be gone in a moment. Lord Jesus, you are eternal and lasting I pray, God, that we would live the kind of life that is also eternal and lasting. Soften our hearts and bring us home to you that we might live in the shelter of your generosity all the days of our lives. Amen.